Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, my name's David. I uh, married to Minu. Uh, we have a 15-year-old daughter who's basically in charge and um, uh, rules the roost. And I think you have done very well to make it here this morning. Just turn to each other. Just look at each other. Go on. Just look at each other. Drink in the beauty that surrounds you. Just look, I said. Don't swap phone numbers. You know, you did really, really well, because I used to hate mornings like this at church. How many of you grew up in church? Just put your hands up. Lots of you grew up in church. I used to hate mornings like this, when someone like me came from an organization like International Justice Mission to talk about something really worthy like ending slavery. And I used to hate it because I knew that it was really important. I knew I was going to hear important stuff, probably some statistics, probably some insight into the state of the world. And it was going to be really, really important and really, really dull. But it was going to get worse. Because they were going to make me cry. They were going to tell me horrible stories. Horrible story after horrible story that would break my heart and make me cry. But it wasn't going to stop there. Because after all of that, they were going to ask me, for money. <laughs> so I knew that at the end of a morning like this, I was going to end up bored, guilty, and broke. <laughs> so I just wanted to preview where we're going over the next half an hour. <laughs> we're not going to do any of that, um, I hope. Um, but I do want to just start by uh, watching a little film, um, which just explains, for those of you who don't know International Justice Mission, it explains a little bit about International Justice Mission. Counselors, 
activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. Thank you. So a friend of mine um, from uh, in America, obviously, put that together to some of the uh, churches that he was pastor to, um, hence the American Voice and hence the ending. If we could have the next slide. Slavery exists, 40 million slaves in the world today, and slavery happens because desperately vulnerable people meet violently greedy people who think they can get away with it. And that's what leads to slavery. Desperately vulnerable people, often poor, usually from an outcast tribe or ethnic group, meet violently greedy people who think they can get away with it and enslave them. And we fight slavery and injustice. We rescue those held in slavery and we bring perpetrators to justice. If I could have the next slide. Because where we attack that equation is we want to make sure that people cannot get away with it. And I can explain a little bit about how we do that this afternoon in more depth at the MICA conversation um, that's back here this afternoon. But we fight slavery by attacking the people and the systems which make them think they can get away with it. So I want to start, before I really get into it, by making two promises. I'm really going to promise not to try and make you cry, and I'm really going to promise not to ask you for money. It's going to be worse than that. I'm going to ask you for your heart and time and prayer life. So we're going to be together for about 90 minutes in this, uh, in this meeting. And during this 90 minutes, 180 children will be sold around the world. And they'll be sold into sweatshops and brothels and rice fields. And we know that children belong in playgrounds and families and schools. But 180 children, while we're sat here, will be sold into slavery. And God knows all their names. They are all precious to him. 
Let me introduce you to one of her. She's one of those names. She's called Anita. I met her last year. I met her in Chennai, India. Very weird evening. It was in a five-star hotel. Everyone was dressed up to the nines because it was an awards ceremony. And IGM was hosting an awards ceremony to honour police officers who'd taken a fight against taken the fight against slavery in their district, district officials, magistrates, prosecutors, people who hadn't colluded with the slave owners but had taken a stand to fight slavery. And Anita wasn't from Chennai, she was actually from Calcutta. And she'd been brought down to Chennai for this award ceremony because she was going to get an award. Anita was 17 years old. She had been tricked into a brothel in Calcutta when she was 13. She had spent two years there before being rescued when she was about 15. She was now about two years into her aftercare program, counselling, education, skills. And she was there to receive uh, an award because she had chosen not just to hide, not just to rebuild her own life, but to be a voice to communities like the one she came from, to warn families not to believe the lies and the tricks of the slave traders as they promised great jobs and a great future to girls from the villages if they moved to the big city. That's how she'd got caught. Do you know what was really interesting is the room was full of the great and the good. The speaker of the National Indian Parliament was the guest of honour. There was politicians and business people and church leaders and community leaders all dressed up. And Anita should have been terrified. She was a young girl from a low caste, with very, very little education, who had been brutalized for her formative teenage years. She should have been trembling in the corner. She blew that room away. And she blew that room away as she spoke of how she wanted no child to go through what she'd been through of how she was prepared to go back into the communities and take the stigma and the shame and share her story so that others would be protected. She blew the room away. And as I was listening to her, I remembered the story of God setting the children of Israel free from Egypt. And for those of you who know that story well, there's a little bit where where God says, you're going to leave Egypt, but you won't leave Egypt empty-handed. You will carry the wealth of the Egyptians with you. And I listened to Anita speak, and though I would not have wished her life on anyone, I thought you have not left this empty-handed, because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you to rebuild you, to reconnect you to your heart, to your identity, to your passion, to your vision, to your calling, to your vocation. There is no dead end with the Holy Spirit. There is no one too broken. There is no pit too deep that the Holy Spirit cannot bring life and a new start. There are no cul-de-sacs. And I saw that in Anita. Our Father knows the names of every single one of those 180 children that will have been sold while we're here. Jesus said that our enemy is like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And nothing steals and kills and destroys like slavery. But Jesus said, I've come to bring life. 
to overcome the darkness and the death that the enemy brings. God has always been in the business of setting captives free. Um, and uh, this is, uh, if I could have the next slide. This is, uh, this is a picture of um, minors, so children available for sale in the commercial sex trade in a city called Cebu in the Philippines. Um, and we started working there and the Gates Foundation decided to pay for academic research into what was going on. And so at the beginning, there was, they did a baseline survey of how many children were being sold for rape in this city every day. And we, if I have the next slide, we thought that maybe over four years, there'd be, if we'd be doing really well if there was a 20% reduction. In actual fact, there was a 79% reduction in the number of children being sold for rape in that city where we'd been working. Why? Well, the researchers decided there were two reasons. One is that the perpetrators, the slave traders, some of them were now in prison, which means they weren't buying and selling children. The other reason was a multiplier effect. It just got more dangerous to be involved in selling minors in the sex industry in Cebu. So people did something else. People moved away from that business. It turns out that slave traders are as lazy and as scared as the rest of us and didn't want to go to prison. And when they thought they could, they they left that trade behind. It got too difficult. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But that is a sign of how God can set people free. It's a sign of how the, we can make a real difference. We know God's been calling us this ever since Exodus 2 with Moses at the burning bush, where God interrupts Moses' life and he says to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And God wanted the generation of Israel that was in slavery in Egypt to be the last generation of slaves. And I believe that God is still calling his people to go back to the modern day pharaohs, the modern day slave traders, and say, let my people go. Let's bring an end to slavery because they are his people in his image. William Wilberforce said the way to end slavery is uh, three things. First is awareness, second is money, and the third is prayer. You're making yourself aware. We've talked about money, but I want to focus on prayer. I want to focus on prayer because that's the way we can join the front line of the fight to end slavery. Because if we're going to knock on the doors of sweatshops and brothels and farms and fishing fleets, we first of all need to be knocking on the doors of heaven. We need investigators and lawyers. I actually said we need lawyers. Just wanted you to notice that. We need investigators, we need lawyers, we need social workers and counsellors and therapists, but we need to bathe them in the Father's protective, empowering presence. This can be the last generation of slaves. Now, when I say that, I can feel the unbelief in the room. But this can be the last generation of slaves. In four years, we saw 79% fewer slaves in the Philippines of a particular type. We can repeat that again and again and again. But if we're going to do that, we need the largest move of prayer for justice that our nation has ever seen. 
We need to be storming the gates of heaven so that we can storm the citadels of the enemy and really lead the captives to freedom. So, how are we doing on prayer? Who's got their prayer life just right? Go on, dare you, dare you. You know, prayer's really under attack, isn't it? It kind of makes sense because, honestly, the devil, the enemy of, the, of people, has seen better than us. He's not that scared of our brilliance. He's not that scared of our money. He's not that scared of our um, cleverness and our energy. He is terrified when we come to the Father and ask the God of all creation to take action. I feel really weak in prayer. Uh, before I, jo- I joined IGM two years ago, uh, before that I was, uh, I was uh, with Tear Fund for 20 years. How many of you have heard, for t- heard of Tear Fund? Oh, look, put your hands up in the air. That's really great. Look, everyone look around. Keep your hands up in the air. These are the people going to heaven. <laughs> I was with Tear How- Who's heard of IJM now? These are the people getting a bigger mansion in heaven. <laughs> Maybe my theology is out. You know, uh, but before I joined IGM, I, I felt I was praying about, you know, what, what should I do with this, uh, in this leadership role? And I felt God say to me, I should raise more prayer than money. I felt God say to me, I should raise more prayer than money because prayer was what was going to end slavery. Prayer was the battle. I told my board that and they went very quiet. <laughs> and then they said, that's fine, you can raise loads and loads and loads of prayer. Just lots of money as well. But the irony was I felt I was the last person on earth to talk about prayer because I feel weak about it and ashamed about it. I don't feel I do enough prayer. I don't feel I do it right. And then one day I felt that maybe I was seeing it all wrong. Because the issue is not, am I good at prayer? But how good is the God I'm praying to? So I, I had the pleasure and delight of staying with um, uh, Gareth and Zoe last night. And I did work with Zoe for lots of years at Tear Fund. When Gareth said I was her boss, I want to always, I want to say the word allegedly. <laughs> Those of you who know Zoe well know exactly what I mean by that. And... Uh, and at breakfast, we're having breakfast, and Jacob is, is delightful, and he's trying to ask for actually all the breakfasts in the world, is, in truth. Um, he wanted pan chocolate, and he wanted uh, granola, and he wanted porridge. And, uh, but the thing about Jacob asking for breakfast was that he didn't always know the right words. So he made them up. He just made up these words. And his grammar, I have to tell you, was awful. I mean, three years old, I thought, what is the state of nursery education in Cheltenham at the moment? His grammar was all over the place. The interesting thing was, Gareth and Zoe understood exactly what he meant and exactly what he wanted. They actually even understood what he really wanted, which sometimes was different from what he was saying but they got his heart. Well, maybe prayer is like that. 
we focus so much on have we got the right words, the right grammar, have we done the right things, are we doing the right system? And actually our dad is just wanting his children to talk to him. Our father in heaven is just wanting us to come to him, sometimes with the wrong words, sometimes with messy grammar, but to say, Father, please act and move for the Anitas of this world, for the children held in slavery. Please act. And that scares the enemy witless. So let me show you how this works um, in practice. I want to take you to Calcutta. I first went to Calcutta with Tirfan lots and lots of years ago, and I remember going to a place called uh, Sonagachi. Anyone been to Calcutta? Great, a few of us. Sonagachi is very near, it's sort of the area where Mother Teresa did her work, and is one of the biggest, most awful red light areas um, in India. And you go down narrow lanes, it's very oppressive, very... Um, the sunlight doesn't penetrate very much. It's uh, little shacks, and lots of the shacks have bars on, on their windows, um, and behind the bars are girls that you can buy. And men go in and out, and they arrange a price. And it is really, really, really um, depressing. It's very hard to find words to even express what it is like. Lots of the girls, I remember, would just stand like this. And counsellors think that it's a pathetic attempt to put a barrier between you and a world that's going to hurt you. And lots of young girls are there. In the first three years of IGM working in that area, we rescued uh, 150 girls. Most were aged between 11 and 16. And they went as young as five in this area. When I visited, they estimated somewhere between six and 10,000 girls and women held in that small, cramped bit of the city. We um, have investigators. So what we do is we help the police find the evidence to provoke raids, to bring arrests and see people prosecuted. And... Uh, we had an investigator. He'd had a, a long career in undercover police work in the West. Um, he was not a, not, a, not a naive person, but he arrived there, and he was completely overwhelmed by what he saw. His job was to pose as a man seeking out girls and find evidence. He'd be tooled up with under, you know, secret cameras and recording devices. Really dangerous work. But he was so shocked by what he saw that it paralyzed him. He wrote to me and he said, he said he couldn't leave his room because he just was crying out, God, why is the world like this? God, why are you not doing something about it? God, can you please help these children. You know, talking honestly to God about suffering and injustice is really hard, isn't it? So we often don't do it. We often give up. We shy away from the questions because they're too hard about our own lives. Why is that person ill? Why is my family in a mess? Why? Why? And this man, faced with the crushing need in Calcutta, 
who's saying, God, why, where are you in this? It was a real crisis of faith for him, but he didn't run away. He kept praying, and he, got, he sent out urgent prayer requests to people around the world, people like us, who said, just please pray for me that God would speak. And after a couple of weeks of seeking God, of agonizing, of wondering whether he was even a Christian anymore, just what on earth to do, he felt reminded of God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. And God said to Moses, before he sent him back to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, God said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying, so I've come down to rescue them, and I'm sending you. And suddenly the light switched on inside of him, and he realized that God did see, and God did care, and God's answer, in part, was to send him. He kept praying, went back to work, kept searching, realized now he was in a different place. He couldn't do it in his own strength. 30 years of being an undercover policeman gathering evidence, and he realized he wasn't good enough for the task. But with God, he was good enough. And he brought God into that work, and with a prayer network around the world, brought God into that work. This is what happened next. He discovered, through his investigations, um, that there was a brothel a few hours outside of Calcutta, which was a staging post. Girls would be sold down from uh, Bangladesh and from Bhutan, and they'd come through Calcutta, they'd be used there for a while, then sold on eventually to Mumbai and further afield. And he had discovered that there were um, going to be six children transiting through this brothel uh, in a few weeks' time. So they worked really hard, they, they, they had some evidence, they, they kept trying to get the police to be interested, but police officer after police officer turned them down because the person who owned the brothel, the person who ran that district, was an incredibly powerful criminal. And the police, some of the police officers were colluding, some of them were, in, were corrupt, and some of them just thought it was too scary. One police chief said to him, I'm not going to risk my men for those girls, they're not worth it. But he felt it was worth it, and he kept praying, and he kept raising prayer. And eventually he found a police officer, police chief, a commander of, police, of a police unit, police outpost, who said they'd do the rescue, they'd do the raid. It was all set up. They'd go to the police uh, station a few hours outside of Calcutta, ready to gather the extra forces, go on this raid. When they arrive at the police station, it's chaos because the district police commander has decided to do a surprise inspection. And so he has turned up and nothing else is happening. And because a dignitary has turned up, there's a crowd of people in this rural setting. And John, my friend, the investigator, his heart sinks because he says, this is going to tip off the brothel owner. This is going to tip everything off. It's going to be hopeless. They wait for three hours with no news. He is despairing. His team, he said to me, his team had more faith than he had because they said we must pray. So they gathered around and prayed and prayed. Three hours went by. Eventually, the police commander of the, of the actual station, the, the dignitaries had left, the police commander said, right, let's go. And my friend said, right, let's go. But my friend was despairing of all hope that they'd find these girls because the brothel keeper would have been tipped off. One of his friends 
One of his team said to him, God would not have brought us this far to do nothing. So they went and they did the raid. This is what he wrote. When we entered the brothel, I was again surprised by God. We found and rescued not only the six young girls that we had spotted there, but we hit the brothel at the exact perfect time when all the trafficked victims in that brothel were there. That night, we rescued a total of 19 children who were trapped in this horrible, violent nightmare. And I was reminded of God's perfect power and God's perfect plan in responding to the prayers of his people. That's what prayer and faithfulness is about. Elijah the prophet was praying for rain. You remember the story. There'd been a drought and he was praying for rain. And uh, he bent over, prayed for rain, and then he sent his servant off to say, what's happening? Look at the sky. Can you see rain? And the servant comes back and Elijah says, what's happening? And the servant says, nothing. And Elijah prays again, sends his servant off, says, what's happening? Nothing. Does this six times. On the seventh time, he sends the servant off and says, what's happening? And I imagine the servant at this point is beginning to feel sorry for Elijah. You know, and the servant says, well, he's peering into the distance and he thinks maybe there's a smudge on the horizon that might be a cloud. And he comes back and he says, well, Elijah, there's maybe a cloud. And if I, if I put my hand up like that, I, it would, it would be, my hand would be bigger than the cloud. But, you know, maybe that's a cloud. Elijah jumps up, stops praying, starts running because he says rain is coming. It's easy to think that nothing will change. It's easy to think. Two children sold every minute, 180 while we're here. 2,880 every day. It's easy to think that nothing's happening. 40 million slaves in the world. Easy to think that nothing's happening. But last year, with help from people like you, we rescued 5,880 people from slavery. That is a cloud of justice that's growing. Last year, we gained the convictions of 266 slave traders. That's people who are now in prison. And as, we sh as I showed you earlier, over a four-year period in Cebu, Philippines, we saw a 79% reduction in the number of children in the sex industry. Justice is coming. And for me, it's personal. 13 years ago, I was in Chiang Mai, Thailand, with Tear Fund. I was walking down a brightly lit street at seven o'clock in the evening, in the middle of the town, with a female colleague. And a young girl comes up to me and says, would I like to have sex with her? Her opening price was the equivalent of seven pounds. Lord only knows what I could have bargained her down to had I been so inclined. And I, of course, was able to keep walking, but she was not because her owner kept her working that bit of the pavement. The people I was working with in Chiang Mai uh, worked in the bars and the clubs in that area, and I had this rather naive notion we could find this girl. We didn't find this girl. But given the industry in that section of Chiang Mai, she was almost certainly from the hill tribes, a, a despised ethnic group. She was most likely 14, 15, 16, mid-teens. 
And she will work there, or will have worked there, until she was either sold on or she died. And that would be when she was in her early 20s of AIDS. That night, God had interrupted my life. It was a very short encounter with a very desperate girl. And as I prayed in my room that night, I was ashamed that I had walked away from her. And I made a promise to God that I would not walk away again. That led me to working with IJM, because God had interrupted my life to make a difference. So how do we not walk away from these ones? You can send rescue. There's information at the back about how you can do that, how you can actually stand and send rescue. You can make slave-free normal. Um, Just very quickly, what I want you to do is look at your neighbor's clothes. You can look at your own clothes, but I'd like you to find, what I'm looking for is a made-in label. Okay, made in where, okay? I'm really serious, you're gonna do this. We're almost at lunchtime. So be judicious about which bit of clothing you look for the label. Who's found a country that stuff is made in? Just call it out when you found something. Cambodia, yep. Thailand, Hong Kong, China. Sorry? Vietnam, Bangladesh. Turkey, Egypt, okay. Okay, so that's given you a little bit of a stretch and uh, the opportunity to um, rifle through your neighbor's clothing, which I bet you didn't think was gonna happen for you when you came to church this morning. What did all those countries have in common? They're poor, largely. And I know you've been admiring my jacket and shirt all morning. Okay, that. That was actually just frankly hurtful for a room full of Christians. (laughs) I don't know who made this jacket. I don't know whether it was a child chained to a machinery in a sweatshop. And the truth is nobody knows. But what we want to do is start asking the question. If we're going to make slave-free normal, we've got to start asking the question of the people we buy our clothes from, our food from, our makeup from, Um, our stuff from and say I love the colour and the cut of that jacket it would suit me just fine I just need to know were slaves involved you can go to if you put up that slide actually you can go to igmuk.org and there's a load of stuff about how we can make slave free normal and you can pray we'll send you prayer information from the front line of the fight against slavery You can pray for rescues, for activities. Tomorrow, an investigator is going undercover in a brothel run by vicious criminals. Tomorrow, there'll be a lawyer fighting to move a case forward in a corrupt and bureaucratic system. And there'll be a social worker sitting opposite a brutalized young girl, trying to find the word that will connect with her heart 
and help her walk to freedom internally, even though she's walked to freedom externally. They need our prayers. You can find out how to join the fight by taking the leaflets that are at the back by the door, by responding whatever way God's called you to respond. Would you please stand? Do you know, as we just have our eyes closed and the Spirit is with us, I understand it's your practice to wait on the Lord and see what he wants to do. But there were two things I felt God whispered to me through the worship. And the first was that maybe there's some people here and you feel that God has interrupted your life on this issue. So as we've got our eyes shut, if you feel that God has interrupted your life on this issue and this is something you need to give yourself to in some way, you might not know what that means yet, but you know God has spoken to you, would you just raise your hand, not for anyone else to see, but for God to see? Would you just raise your hand if that's you? And as you've raised your hand, you can put them down because there are lots of you. Just talk to God in this quiet moment about how you want to respond. What will be the next thing you do? Might be picking up a leaflet, might be doing some research, might, whatever it is. Make your deal with God. And there was another thing. When I was talking about prayer and how we get it wrong and we feel ashamed, I just wondered if there are some people who you want to reset your prayer life. And it's not that you can promise God that you'll suddenly turn into a three-hour a morning intercessor, but maybe a five-minute a morning child asking their daddy to work and to act. And I felt that there were some people and you felt that you wanted to restart your prayer life with God, to forget the shame and the failures, but to commit to taking the first baby steps, even if the language and the grammar is wrong. If you wanted to do that, that would be a thing to respond to. Father, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, come. So encourage us, church, what, what would be the one thing that is the takeaway for you today? What is the one thing that the Lord might be calling you to respond to him to this morning? This afternoon, we're privileged to have David with us at for an afternoon reception. Everyone is welcome to come. It's 4.30 in Fusion. Just come along. Hear more about the work of IGM. That might be one of the things that you might do today. Just carve out some space in the day. Come and join us in Fusion 4.30. Respond 
by signing up to receive regular information by email from IGM. You know, one of the things I love about IGM amongst many is that they're really thoughtful when they send out emails to people asking them to pray and it's, 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 it's current. You know, it's that this week there will be um, a lawyer going into this place or there'll be investigators going into this place. Please pray this week about that work. IGM is calling the church to pray. It's on the Father's heart. It's on the Father's heart. So Father, would you break our heart with the things that break your heart for the lost and for the broken, for those who are exploited. God, we can make a difference when we pray. And it may be as David has just said that you know that your response is is to you know one of the things we do in our family home is when kind of we get things wrong is we say fresh start, fresh start happens quite regularly in our home. It it can happen as regularly with the father. And maybe today is a day just fresh start with prayer. Fresh start with prayer. I want to encourage you this morning, if you know the Lord is prompting you to a specific response, whatever that response is, I want to encourage you to come to the front now that we might pray for you. Just come. Just come. If the Lord is prompting you for a specific response this morning, whether it's prayer, whether it's to sign up to the IGM, because we want to add the power and the presence of God to the response that the Lord is speaking to you about. Just come, just come. In our gathering as well this morning, there was that very clear word around darkness and If you came here this morning and you have felt you are in a dark place and you know you need the Lord to be at work breaking through this darkness with his light, whatever it is, whether it's something financial, relational, marital, whatever, whatever it might be, family, work, if you know that you need God to break through in a particular area of your life, I want you to respond to that word this morning. I just encourage you to come to the front now. Just come. Just come. The Lord is here. And if I could invite any from the church family to come and pray, to stand alongside. Just come and let's pray. Let's add our prayers to the prayers of those that have come to the front. And if you're here this morning, you are sick or unwell, we want to pray for your healing. We believe in the God of healing. Jesus heals. He heals today. If you're here this morning, whatever your sickness or illness, we would like to pray for your healing in the name of Jesus. So just come.
could have more of the church family to come and pray, that would be wonderful. You know, church, we just offer our best prayers to the Lord. And as David said, you know, we trust the God, the Father it is that we pray to. He is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine.